Amen. Um, so Peter, interestingly enough, um, you know, he is, uh, you know, themed as far as his epistles go as uh, very hopeful. He, he, uh, he talks uh, to the church in that regard uh, quite, quite a bit of the time, um, uh, but um, it's also been noted that you know Paul, uh, his concentration is uh, almost entirely faith. He's talking about doctrine, he's talking about faith, about how to believe, what to believe, how that should look. Uh, John uh, writes almost exclusively about the love of God. Um, you know, God is love. So, you know, especially these three uh, of Paul and Peter and John's writings, you, you have that, you know, Christian trinity of faith, hope, and love. And uh, this is so essential to um, us as believers uh, to have hope. Um, not, I mean, yes, in the generic sense, in the, in the big, wide spectrum of things, but particularly uh, when you begin to look at yourself. And you, you know, even as a Christian, and and you're you're thinking like, you know, I expected so much more of myself. <laughs> I, I wanted to do better. I why am I always faltering? Why am I always failing? Why why is this you know so uh, you know, such a struggle? And uh, here comes Peter, who I mean, that's the theme of his whole life. It is just you know, open mouth, insert foot, chew vigorously. You know, is a lot of. Uh, you know, he's been described as the, uh, you know, ready, fire, aim sort of guy, you know, and that's that's very much how a lot of us um, struggle uh, in our lives. And yet for all of those challenges, all of those failures in, in their massive, right, uh, the denial of the Lord being chief in those failures and uh, the gracious restoration uh, that the Lord does with him. You know, um, you, you see um, not just one, but very often three nosedives, uh, you know, at a time with this guy. You know, and if, if you're just thinking of the denials, yeah, absolutely. But also, you know, the sheet has to be lowered three times and the Lord has to say, arise, kill and eat before he's like, oh, you know, it, it, so so we are right. It, you know, uh, you know, light finally dawns on marble head and we're able to function. So Peter, 64, 65 AD-ish, um, there's some debate over that, and I don't divide hairs, but uh, roughly that seems to be accurate given uh, things that he's discussing and circumstances uh, from church history that uh, give us those indicators. Um, so he's, he's grown and he's quite elderly. He was uh, apparently, from what we are able to derive from fairly reasonable accurate uh, history, he was the eldest of uh, the apostles. And so now 30 some odd years have passed since the experience and he is, uh, you know, senior uh, amongst them. John outlives them all and becomes known as the elder of the church because everyone else has passed away. But uh, Peter, uh, you know, has, has uh, at this point, uh, become the senior amongst them. And, um, you know, in that, uh, there are uh, things to consider about his ministry. Uh, we derive from other epistles that uh, very often, it seems, his wife traveled with him. Uh, 
don't know how accurate it is, uh, but uh, we uh, have indicators, again, from church history that her name was Perpetua. So I don't know how you shorten that up for a nickname, um, but uh, anyway, Perpetude, um, uh, you know, per whatever. Um, she, uh, you know, Paul raises the question uh, in taking uh, uh, finances and using them uh, for the Lord. He raises the question about a church support of himself and says, you know, is it only Peter that can take his wife with him, you know, in these missions and in these works? Uh, so, you know, we hear things from Peter about marriage uh, that we shouldn't take lightly. Uh, you know, they, they are uh, from uh, the most senior apostle uh, of the inner circle, we might say, Peter, James, and John. Uh, who learned so intimately from Jesus, and he gives us instruction in these things that uh, way worth your time to take note of and apply to our lives and to our conduct. So really a remarkable uh, piece of work, uh, first and second, Peter, but you know, here we are beginning in this, and so much of what he has to say, we'll just dive in here in a moment, uh, to understand that what he's saying to us is that very lofty hope um, that uh, you know should pick us up, not just out of the mire, but to even elevate us where we are at into great service to the Lord and uh, a freedom from earthly things. So beginning, introduction, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ uh, to the pilgrims, of the dispersion in Pontius, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. Uh, very similar to James chapter 1, verse 1. Uh, in particular, uh, addressing the dispersion, um, diaspora, scattering of seed, is uh, sort of what's being said. Very similar, as much as I love the book of James, very different tone here. And uh, Peter is, you know, again, like James, encouraging them with the concept of you've been planted in a very specific place for God's purposes. Uh, I think that uh, we would be very wise to hear that message for ourselves sitting here tonight. Uh, there are people you will come in contact with that you have a certain degree of influence in their life that no one else has, even if um, they are seemingly opposed to your life and your faith and your message. Uh, when the chips are down and they're facing the difficulty, they call, don't they? And they ask you for insight or prayer or you know they'll just try to be as casual as they can like if you you know i'm not praying i'm not a praying person but if you could pray for me they're they're confessing they they know and they trust your faith uh, so we we are planted in the places where god intends us to be uh, we should not think oh if i could only get into this type of a setting or that environment or, you know, oh, I long for the day where I could work in the ministry. Uh, you're in the ministry. You're in the place where the Lord wants you. And uh, if you're thinking, you do not know the people I'm surrounded by. Exactly. 
okay, uh, you know, uh, what are the chances we'd ever be able to bring them in here to study the Word of God with us? I mean, short of tackling them and kidnapping them, which, you know, I have suggested that ministry, but others are not, you know, as inclined. But, you know, short of doing something like that, they're never coming through that door. Uh, But we take the message out the door and into their environment. So use the opportunity and, uh, you know, minister. Back up to uh, an apostle of Jesus Christ. Um, I think that it's very important that we elevate that title. Um, these men have their names written on the foundations of our eternal home. Uh, the Lord himself places a distinction and an honor upon them that is remarkable uh, compared to the rest of us. And, you know, maybe you're like, yeah, yeah, that makes sense. I can appreciate it. Well, there are people today, you know, who are saying it's so strange. They're saying God has restored the fivefold ministry. Right, they're quoting Paul, who said that God has given these amongst us, you know, evangelists and apostles and you know preachers and teachers, and you know they they misquote it because the preacher is the teacher. It's a fourfold ministry, not a fivefold ministry. Not even interpreting the scripture correctly in it, and they say God has restored these offices. So in you know you see apostolic. In the name of the church, like be concerned, okay? Because these people have the mentality. People, when I say this, especially, well, we're not live, that thing's not working, but you know, when I say it and it ends up online, people are like, you should be careful. There are apostolic churches in our community. No, that's what I'm saying to you. You should be careful. There are apostolic churches in our community, okay? <clears throat> because they have a mentality that says, uh, God has restored these offices. And so when one of their apostles speak, you should take it as serious as if Peter said it. Nah, wrong answer. Uh, these were the apostles. And there aren't any more to this sense chosen by Jesus Christ and placed in authoritative positions of instruction in the church. These people literally today, you know, starting with uh, the Kansas City prophets, especially in the early 80s, you know, they're all declaring one another prophets and apostles and disciples and evangelists and slapping labels on one another. So now if you go to an apostolic church and you've got a pastor or, according to them, or a teacher, but when an apostle shows up, everybody should just have such a sense of reverence. No, you know, if he is filled with the Holy Spirit and if he is an instructor in the Word of God, then it's just like all the other ones. Uh, I'm making the point because they're literally saying like the things they teach and the things they preach and the things that they write should be added to your Bible. Because here's Peter writing as an apostle, so when they write as an apostle, you should take it as, well, what about when they teach things that contradict God's Word? And and you might be sitting there right now thinking, well, I bet they never thought of that. No, they have thought of that. And they say that the apostles' teaching today supersedes the Scripture. That is some messed up thought process. That, that your teachings could override Paul? 
You know, so now Joyce Meyer is telling everybody that Jesus descended literally into hell and was tortured by demons for three days. Because when he died at the cross and said, into your hand, I commend my spirit, the Holy Spirit left him and he became just a man. He was no longer God. And that the Holy Spirit returned to him in hell after three days. And he was born again. Jesus was born again in hell. This is her teaching. Okay, I'm not like adding that to her. That's she's taught that many, many times. She's been confronted on it over and over again, and she refuses to recant from it. She insists that it is correct doctrine. When asked, how do you get that? Where in the scripture? And she literally says, it's my own private revelation. And if you were full of the Holy Spirit, you would understand these things too. We have the writings of an apostle, right? The practical things that Peter says, not these fantastic imaginations that people make up. The practical things that Peter says are a big enough challenge for us, right? To die to ourselves, you know, live for our spouses, to care for them that our prayers would not be hindered. Right? Those are some things that take every ounce of spiritual strength you've got rather than some imagination. Uh, we made the statement in reading uh, the dispersion, the scattering of the seeds. Uh, they're pilgrims, right? They're feeling like, no, I'm a refugee. <laughs> I've been driven out. He said, no, you're just on the path of God's wandering. To where? Uh, to these places that are listed. It may ring a bell to you that these and a couple others are listed in Acts chapter 2 of all the locations that the people had gathered into Jerusalem from for the Passover. And they heard the word of God or the glorious works of God being spoken in their native tongues. And then once converted by the power of the Holy Spirit, they went home to these locations and are now living out their faith and preaching the gospel. Peter writes, sends these messages to them. Be encouraged. Be filled with the hope of Christ. Preach the gospel to the community that God has put you in. A wonderful opening to the whole thing. Elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father in sanctification of the Spirit for obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. Grace to you and peace be multiplied to you. Wow. Uh, opening epistle of Peter. Uh, you'd think that he'd sort of take it easy and stay shallow in his doctrine. And yet he dives right into the you know election and predestination and Calvinism versus Armenianism and just like buries everybody in debate. You know, not so much at the time because they fully understood what he was saying. It's only later as the students of Calvin and otherwise begin to divide into, you know, schools of thought and oppose one another and argue in the whole thing. I just asked uh, last Wednesday, uh, who are the elect? <laughs> and I said, uh, anyone that believes. And, uh, oh, that was too much. What do you mean by that? What do I mean? What do I mean by that? Uh, anyone who is a believer. Well, what about the Old Testament? Right. What about the New Testament? Correct. We are the elect. They were the elect. Those that have placed their faith in Jesus Christ. How do I know if I'm the elect? Do you believe? Yes. Then you are. 
What if I don't want to believe? Don't. Then you're not. I don't, what? I mean, how hard is this? Yes, you can confuse yourself if you want to listen to all of the arguing, right? Have you ever done that? You've walked into a scuffle and people are just going at one another and you got pieces and you sort of agree and you just, and they, but you're really confused because you don't know what the argument's about. And essentially, if you read the word of God without all of man's arguments, you go, oh, okay, yeah, yeah, makes a lot of sense. It's when you get into the different divisions of argument that it can get very confusing. Some of these things are beyond us, you know. What does it mean, predestined, foreknowledge of God? You know, how, how does that all work? Well, uh, who are you as a believer, right? I suspect you've been a wonderful success a number of times, I bet you've been a miserable failure other times, right? Um, that's the summary of who the elect are. It, it, at times, you're going to look at them and think, are they really a Christian? And then at other times, you're going to look at them and say, clearly they're a Christian. Uh, what's, what's the point? Uh, are they trusting Jesus Christ for salvation? There's your answer. Well, why debate, right? The foreknowledge, it isn't, you know, as some imply, oh, he knew you were going to be awesome. So he chose you. <laughs> no, think about the author of this, right? He couldn't say that. And if you're thinking like, right, he screwed up there in the beginning, but he sort of, you know, righted the craft and moved along. Yeah, but then later Paul has to confront him. Remember that? Because he's getting led astray. By and and Paul seems to put the dig in, you know, those who had come from James, who'd come from Jerusalem, the Judaizers, who are dragging people back to the law. He's just making sure everybody understands James is not the end all of Christian doctrine, as authoritative as he is, as much as we all respect to him, as much as Paul submitted to his authority. In Acts chapter 15, when James settled the argument, the Holy Spirit settled the argument, but James sort of codified it there by saying what would be required of the Gentiles, Paul demonstrated his submission to James's authority. But when it comes to Peter coming off the rails, Paul gets right in his face and says, you're going to lead every, I'm paraphrasing, but you're going to lead everybody astray here. You, you were eating lunch yesterday in the non-kosher cafeteria. And today you're only sitting with the Jews. You know, you're flip-flopping back and forth and you're making people think that they've got to become Jewish in order to become Christian. My point here is Peter's one of the elect. Even when he's successful and even when he's a failure. Why? Again, faith in Jesus Christ. He's trusting Jesus for his salvation. All of these different qualifying marks that people want to do, right? All of our Armenian brothers that are like, you've got to be really careful because you could lose your salvation. How am I going to do that? Like I put it down somewhere and I don't know where it is now. I just, I had, it's like your car keys or something. Lose my salvation. Jesus Christ is my source of salvation. As long as I abide in him, then I still am saved. If I leave him, according to John, then I never was of him. 
I went out from him because I never belonged to him. I had deceived myself all along the way. So here, he's being encouraging to them, the elect, according to the foreknowledge. He's speaking to all of them as though they are the elect. And that's how I'm speaking to you. We are the elect. I don't look out across and think, well, probably that one, but not so much that one. If you're trusting the Lord, right, you might confess miserable things. And certainly you need to work on those things. You don't have to lay down at night with fear and intrepidation over, man, I hope I get saved as I sleep and tomorrow's a better day, right? If you screwed up bad today, you need to make your confession. You need to cleanse your heart and cleanse your hands, and his mercies are new every morning, right? You need to begin again. But your heavenly Father loves you dearly as you lay your head down. You're trusting in his capabilities, not yours. Because if it is that I've been such a jerk, slam my thumb and cussed my head off, I'm surely not saved. <laughs> well, the Lord probably doesn't want you to do that. But you're still his child. He loves you. And he's not, right? Would you do that? Hopefully not, right? Your kid screws up. That's it. Pack your junk. Get out. You know, they're your kid. You love them. And this is the relationship we have with our Heavenly Father. Born of him. Born of his spirit. We are the elect. Those that are trusting. Blessed be, verse 3, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope. And there's the word hope. Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Living hope in a lot of ways, right? It's, it's active now. You know, we, we uh, have sort of polluted the word hope, you know? It's, it's sort of like a gambling Thing like I hope I hope these dice land on you know what seven or I don't know how that works but you know I hope it's probably not going to happen but I hope that it does you know I hope we've got enough gas to make I don't think we do but I hope we do you know there's all it's always from the negative that's that's not how how Christianity Paul Peter view hope hope is assurance you know. You, you can trust. You can look at the Old Testament, see all of Christ's promises, and then at his advent, right? We're about to celebrate Christmas. He fulfilled those things by coming. And then for all of the doubt that was associated with the past, now it's been fulfilled and there it's standing in front of you. And, oh, well, that changes everything. Now I know with an assurance that hope as it departs says, I'm going to come again and I'm going to save you, and you can trust in me. This is the hope we have. It's not that, gosh, golly, I hope somehow this works out. It's a matter of we have seen the power of Christ historically, and we are holding to that now. We are trusting in it now, what the Lord has and will do for us and in us. So this this hope, you don't want to misplace that and, and redirected into something else. Uh, the blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy 
abundant mercy, so much of our faith is only about mercy. And, uh, I, I, you know, this grace mentioned in the previous verse uh, here, the, the, uh, the, the sprinkling uh, that, that is spoken of, the sprinkling of the blood is, you know, uh, reaching back uh, to uh, when the, the law was dedicated and the sacrifice was made. And they, they sprinkled the blood of the sacrifice uh, upon the priests and upon the robes and upon, uh, you know, the, the law, the book of the law, and upon the people and upon the altar and upon everything. Everything was sanctified through blood. Jesus Christ's blood was sprinkled. That was an image of what was to come. The sprinkling of his blood actually began in the Garden of Gethsemane as he was praying with the apostles. They were sleeping. He was praying, but, you know, as he was praying with the apostles. And he began to sweat great drops of blood. And that bloodshed continued as he was beaten, as he was taken in uh, to the high priest's uh, estate and, and beaten, bloodshed and spattering uh, there. And he uh, handed over to the Roman guards and bloodshed and spattering and then whipped uh, and scourged and bloodshed and spattering everywhere. And then, you know, up to the cross and, and, and nailed to the cross and blood spattering and then, you know, pierced through the side and water and blood spill out, spattering of blood, uh, sprinkling of blood, uh, you know, until the life had been poured out is for our sake the, the sanctification uh, we often talk about sanctification uh, like the idea of a um, maturing process and certainly it has that tone of of a maturing process but but what's being spoken of here and what the scripture more accurately speaks of is positional you were filthy you were unholy, and Christ redeemed you and sanctified you from that, right? You aren't, this isn't progressive, it's positional. Paul tells us, you have been sanctified. <laughs> wow, really? Because right now, I especially don't feel like it. You know, I'm caught in traffic and this guy in front of me, why can't he, you know, you don't feel sanctified, in the moment, you know, when I'm driving over here, I'm already late. And, you know, somebody in front of me has just decided that because there's a little bit of snow, the speed limit's now 25, you know, from Blue Hill all the way to Ellsworth. So after I get myself calmed down and I've prayed, I'm sanctified through the whole process. I am positionally in Christ, you know. Cleansed? Yeah, after I got over myself and prayed, yeah, that's a different that's a different thing. That's different than what Christ is talking about right here. You, you know, say, well, I don't feel like I deserve it. Guess what? You don't. You don't. Uh, this, is, this is the mercy. This is the grace that sanctifies us. This is what we need to live under. Again, we know. You don't just to be get to be like, oh, well, great. I'll just act like a heathen and God's grace has got to cover me. Paul specifically, Romans chapter 6, says, What then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? It needs to be a death, a dying, a being done away with, taking up the cross daily. But positionally, you are, you are presently covered by the blood of Jesus Christ and Presently, you are sanctified as the elect in Christ. 
Uh, it's been said, and, and the scripture supports the concept that because you're covered in the blood of Jesus Christ, that when the Lord looks upon you, he doesn't see your flaws. He sees his son. He sees Jesus Christ because you're covered in his blood. Blood bought, sanctified by him, the sprinkling of blood, the grace. Now, with that, please move that grace forward into your conduct right it needs to it needs to become what you extend to everyone else if if you are a person who struggles with that you need to i would suggest you you need to back up in your relationship with the lord into have you accepted the grace because generally, if I'm finding it difficult or impossible to be merciful and gracious with someone else, it's because I'm literally thinking along the lines of, if I behave well, then he'll accept me. I'm not actually living in and functioning in the grace. I've got myself under a cloud that says, I, I you know, Directly or indirectly, what I'm saying is I'm earning my salvation by behaving and by being good and by doing good things. Then, then I'm acceptable to Christ. No, no, we're supposed to do all those things because we've been accepted by Christ as a result of the grace. Because he has forgiven us, then we should stop sinning. We should stop pursuing the things of our flesh. You know, if... if uh, you need a liver transplant, and someone is killed in a car accident, and their liver is donated to you. And then later you meet their family, and you're just boozing it up and abusing the liver of their loved one. You were given the grace of life by someone else's sacrifice, and now you're abusing that life that has been given to you. So it is with Christ. The life's been given to you. The grace has been given to you. Are you going to abuse it? Uh, you know, we, we need to find ourselves. I can't, I can't damage this thing. I can't harm this thing. I can't accost this thing. I must be respectful of the grace that has given me this life. And it gets easier and easier. The more that we cooperate with that, the more respect we have for the life that has been given to us, the less apt we are to behave in ways that are an offense to that grace. This grace has been poured out upon us, and as we embrace that concept, then it becomes easier to forgive the next person. That's the summary. I'll just, you know, if anybody ever needs uh, marital counseling, I'll just let the cat out of the bag. Uh, that uh, uh, grace and mercy is all it takes for you. To live with someone else. That's it. That's I mean, that's the summary of, you know, well, how are they? You don't understand how they are. Okay, I don't understand. Tell me all about it. Okay, you tell me the gory details, and I'm blown away. Oh, wow, I would never have imagined, and I can't, that's shocking, and really, oh, my goodness, way worse than anything I've been through. You know what's going to be the answer? When you're merciful and gracious with that person. That's That's going to fix it. Well, you don't know my brother. I can't, my family, and it's just, it's insane. And uh, wow, it's astonishing. And I hear the story, and, and literally, my goodness, I've never heard anything like it. And you know how you're going to, you know, be able to get along with them? Uh, grace and mercy. 
kindness. There may be things you need to say, right? You know, hey, stop throwing rocks. You know, I don't know, whatever it is you need to say in those moments. But in the end, grace, mercy, same thing that brought you across the threshold into salvation, right? It, it is his kindness that leads to repentance. It's his kindness that leads to repentance. So here, you know, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us. That's how the birthing process happened. Abundant mercy and grace. Again, to this living hope. Again, the hope is in the here and the now. It's a living hope, right? It's not, it's not like not yet birthed. The hope is way out ahead of us. Right? We gotta go through the whole gestation until we get to, you know, I don't know what, the birth pains. And then then it might arrive, you know, depending on how close those contractions get. <laughs> you know, because maybe it's just Braxton Hicks and then we're not there yet and we still got some time. No, it's not like that. Christ died and was resurrected back to life. Ta da, there's your hope. It's a living hope right now. It's alive for you right now. You can live in this. You can function in this. Today can be joyous. Tomorrow can be joyous. Because it's a living hope. It's the here and the now. You know, it's not ancient history. Oh, Christ was back then. What an amazing thing that the church was. You know, past tense. Oh, if only today. It could be like it was then. Oh, it's now. It's alive. It's eternal. It's never going to die. Why? Because it's Christ. The hope is Christ. And it functions in our heart, right? He lives in us. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit. His life can exude out of us in our every existence, in our moment to moment. Christ can be there. Oh, I get really down. I get really depressed. Okay. And what takes us there? Very often, what we're focused on is what we actually desire. And we don't have that right now. Right? Whatever it is. I just, I, I just, you know, my, my home is just, and I wish it were so much more. And it's not. So I'm really depressed. My relationships, I just, they're so frustrating. They're so difficult. See, when we make each one of these confessions, what we're saying is, I know the way things should be. <laughs> There's something in my heart that longs for something other than what I have right here and right now. Well, do you understand the concept that Christ has that for us? That whatever we have to endure here will be in his presence someday. I'd encourage you, uh, again, read Revelation chapter 5. Look at the throne room. Look at the glorious worship of that throne room. You know, I sat out there. Listening to you guys sing tonight, that was cool. Everybody lifting their voices, everybody together in unison, those moments of joy that happen in worship. There's going to be an innumerable company all singing, right? And some of us, when we sing uh, together, you know, we don't sing well, so we kind of hold back. We just let, you know, I'll just sing behind this person, slightly lower, slightly lower, you know, just, I just stay, let them sing within it, you know. I don't really know how to keep time, so I'll look like I'm clapping. I just won't connect, so it doesn't make any sound, you know, because everybody's here and I'm out here, you know. I just uh, when we're in the presence of the Lord, we will all be singing in unison. Have you experienced those rooms? 
the thunderous praise that occurs in your heart and your life and the joy that comes in that. Christ has in store for us his glory, his joy, his rest. Whatever we have to endure here, you can brush that aside and know that the longing that is in your heart that's not being fulfilled right now will be fulfilled in Christ. That he has that in store for us. And so for the time being, right, you know, I was asking the guys at CRD today as we talked through that class, uh, you know, consider those times where you went through difficulties and, and it drug you down so far and you got so unspeakably desperate. It was just as black emotionally and spiritually as you could possibly imagine. Desperate things went through your mind. And then Christ lifted you out of that. Maybe you're presently there, but I suspect not. And then you look back and you think, wow, like that's kind of scary that I went that far down, that it got that bad. Listen, those brief moments seem like they're never going to end, like they're the most horrible thing that's ever going to happen, but you get lifted out of them, right? If we live our entire lives in difficulty, Let's say maybe you're even going to live to be older than 85. Let's say that. But, you know, 85, that's a ripe old age. If you're going to live to be 95, 100 years old, your grandmother lived to be older than 100? Yes, right? Over 100 years old. What if every moment was absolutely miserable? You know, born into a broken family and born into abuse and suffering through all the calamities that could ever have existed, just like schlep rock from beginning to end. Absolutely terrible. Exodus life at 100 plus years old. 10,000 years from now. Are those 100 years going to mean much? Right? Probably won't even remember them. You've got to lift your sight up off from this earth. And the challenges that are here. Christ never intended these things for us, right? He designed this place to be always good. Right? And we blame things on God, right? You know, oh, it was an act of God. Tornado and tree, you know, wiped everything out. Act of God. Well, not really. Right? Because what introduced all of that junk? Sin. Who did that? Adam. So humanity, active man is what we should be saying, right? Yeah, I was talking recently about even the atmosphere of earth, right? Previously, balanced atmosphere. Previously, no rainfall. Mist shot up from the, the earth and hydrated all of the vegetation that was on earth. There was a hydrological system underground that was pressurized that watered everything. Then Adam sins. Death enters into the world. Progress to the flood. Canopy above collapses. You know, water table underneath bursts out, floods the whole earth. Atmosphere changes entirely. Planet maybe was tilted, probably not. 23 degrees on the axis now. Just a few days, we're going to reach that peak. Take some courage, take some hope. We're going to start heading back towards the sun, Cheryl. Right? 
The days will start to get longer on the 21st. <laughs> Praise God, Oliver says. Right? Amen. Already planning for July. You know what I'm saying? <clears throat> that 23 degrees pitch, uh, as, as if it were here and the sun were hitting the equator continuously, then the the rotation of the earth inside that would be keeping a much more consistent temperature from North Pole to equator to South Pole. Pitched away, rotating as it does, right? Not rotating this way, rotating on the axis the, at the pitch. The equator being heated, incredibly hot air, just like in your house, rises to the surface. As it's cooled, it sinks and drops back towards the equator, and you get these rotations that happen north and south. They're moving towards the poles. So when the cold air has been super cooled and plummets back down towards the equator, and it meets hot air that's rising towards the pole, uh, what happens is the hot air shoots to the top and the cold air shoots to the bottom, and as they pass over one another, the air begins to roll. And occasionally, that roll gets so severe that it stands right up on end and goes through a trailer park in Kansas and just destroys everything. Sin destroyed and disrupted God's plan. Humanity and its sin and the torment and broken families and all that we are experiencing of the decay of our own DNA and man's tinkering with it and just messing everything up, Humanity is destroying itself. God had an entirely different plan where none of that junk was going on. And that's why your heart is broken. Because right now you're having to deal with whatever degree that is touching your life. Lift your, lift your eyes up away from that. Fix your gaze upon your Savior. Know that he has good plans for you now and in the future. Let the things of this earth just sort of fade away. right? Because he has, he has things he wants you to do. What you want to hear is in crossing that finish line, however that happens, he snatches you off the earth or you breathe your last when you enter his presence. What you want to hear is, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of the Lord. The joy of the Lord that erases all the junk. And takes it away. The retirement plan is what we need to concentrate on, right? Not the daily paycheck, because, well, the wages of sin is death. So, here, blessed be the God and Father, you know, the living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. He proved to us that He has power over all these things. You know, I mean, you know, somebody, if you tell somebody, hey, you know, I'll take care of your bills, they're like, really? Yeah, I'll do it, you know. And you kind of walk away thinking, like, they can't possibly mean that. And then they do. They're like, wow, they've got capabilities. Yeah, I'll fix your car. Really? Yeah, I don't know if they can do it. And they do. Wow, hey, I'm learning. This person has, when they step up to you and say, go ahead and kill me, I'll resurrect myself back to life. Yeah, you might have experienced capable people on planet Earth, but nobody can say, oh, I have power over death. Whatever capabilities any human might have that might be amazing and wonderful and glorious, 
They don't compare to the fact that Jesus Christ literally allowed himself to be touched by death and then said, enough of that, and stood back up. No, death had not taken him. He has, he has power over death. What an amazing thing. To an inheritance, right? And so this living hope through resurre the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance, incorruptible and undefiled, and that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. Yes, it, firstly, it's Jesus Christ's inheritance. What's most remarkable about that inheritance to me is the Lord speaks of us as his inheritance. He's getting a bum deal. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I mean, compared to what we get. We, we, are, we are getting the lion's share uh, of this whole thing because, you know, yeah, eternal life, right power over death that now belongs to us but what's most remarkable is you don't deserve it and you're still going to get it because christ has said he's given it to you so amazing that he chose us as his own that, that again you got to go back to the grace at that point it, it really is just that there was you know, a, a movement that it didn't affect me much. I heard little bits of it. I was quite young in Christianity growing up in uh, King's Kids, um, talking about how, well, you know, we should think more highly of ourselves. We're King's Kids. You know, you deserve, you know, deserve what? You know, they had this attitude like we're children of God and therefore we should rise up, you know, and they got all this nonsense going on. King's Kids, I don't know. Yeah, about that yeah we're king's kids but it's not the sense of we're deserving of any of this you know we're probably like spoiled rotten king's kids you know <laughs> he's just so gracious and kind with and we get to take the inheritance remarkable remarkable that the lord would bestow upon us such great wealth incorruptible, undefiled, can't, can't rot this, can't decay this, can't corrode this. You know, I, uh, um, I had a classmate in fifth grade, and uh, she was a Southern, she was not Southern, her family uh, was from the South. And uh, she and her dad had it. We, we we were fifth grade. We were we were still doing show and tell. Remember those things? And it probably wouldn't be allowed today. It's just too demeaning to other people. But anyway, um, so you know, bring different things. Show your classmates. Talk about it. Whatever. Uh, so she's telling us for days that she's gonna bring tens of thousands of dollars to class with her and show us. And I mean, at first, it's just like, you get it. It's her, it's her week. She's going to do show and tell. And we're just like, at first, as kids, we're like, you know, calling her a liar. And throughout the week, she's telling us, no, my dad's coming in and he's bringing it. Right. Turns out what, what they bring in is all Confederate money. Okay. You know, <clears throat> their, their family was very wealthy. And so they had a whole bunch of other things uh, artifacts from their family 
as a point being that, you know, there are things in this world that we invest in that we think are such great, you know, you just invest all your time into something that's rotten, <laughs> worthless, you know, counterfeit, confederate, however you want to look at it, just, you know, in the kingdom, nothing. I, I know people who have built for themselves amazing careers, incredible salaries, so many benefits in their lives. Meanwhile, they've sacrificed their relationship with two wives, you know, a handful of children. Uh, there's just a long wake of wreckage behind them. And they just want everybody to look at, look, look at my shiny thing. <laughs> Let's bring the kids up. Let's talk to the kids about how much they appreciate it. Let's talk to the wives, plural, about how, how respectful they are of that which you've amassed to yourself. Let's talk to them about you and see about their respect of you. You know, this inheritance in Christ, not corruptible. It will not corrode. It will not be stolen. Thieves cannot break in and steal, right? This is protected. This is for seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. We're talking about what food, clothing, and shelter is what they were bringing up at the time. Your, your basic necessities will be added to you. In fact, what we just read, be multiplied to you, right? Not just here's one, okay, have another, <laughs> you know. Here's one, and here's a truckload. You'll have great abundance in Christ if you'll invest in his kingdom. Invest in what the Lord has. Inheritance incorruptible, undefiled, does not fade away. Uh, reserved in heaven for you. Doesn't, doesn't fade away. I, I often at this point think about um, the fads that I have seen come and go in my lifetime. Uh, I, I remember my, my first occasion of getting caught up in fads. Like I was young enough to where I was oblivious to it for a while, but you hit that preteen era and like suddenly got to be cool. And my, my very first one, you got a, a slightly different flavor, I'm sure. But mine, right? I hit, I hit the phase where everybody had to have leather, high top, white, pony sneakers and, and you had to tie them in such a way that the tongue flap was out and you had to have 501 button fly jeans I just and, and if you were dumb enough to like buy one of the fake knockoffs that sort of looked like it when you got found out you would just be dragged across the coals emotionally at school it was just horrible you know, I was a relatively poor kid and like went through all the efforts to get that. But then I realized like I can only wear those jeans like one day a week, man. <laughs> the real wealthy kids have like a couple pairs and just, you know, they get uh, you know, fads, the things that fade away. Before that school year ended, everybody hated leather high top ponies. And, and every and like I'm like I invested so much in these, you know. I'm mowing lawns, earning this money myself. I can't like go ask, you know, somebody else to buy these things for me. 
the things of this world that everybody comes so and think about how rapidly cell phones are changing. It's like, you know, I, I, I'm I'm in the the store, and, and a guy's like, "What do you got for a phone?" You know, I, I, like this, it's a smartphone, but it's like, you know, first edition <laughs> type of deal. He's like, "Wow, no kidding!" Like, he's saying like retro. <laughs> and I'm saying, oh, well, that's the second one I owned. You know, I crushed the first one, and I couldn't even find one through the insurance program. I actually went on eBay and bought a used one at a fraction of the cost, right? Because what do I care? <laughs> I can read my text, I can read my email, I can make a phone call on this thing. It's really quite simple. Uh, the fads, the things that just fade away, fade away, fade away, it's constantly fading because it lives under a law of entropy. All things are breaking down, and that in includes the human thought process, the opinions breaking down, what everybody's so infatuated with today. Oh, wouldn't we be better off to teach our young people to, to not be concerned about those things at all? Focus your life on Christ. Yeah, get one of those things that's like useful and then forget about it. Just move on. Let everybody just fade away. Why? Because it's going to just fade away. The things of this world that everybody is so infatuated with, and, and yet they're, they're meaningless on the grand scale of things. Incorrupt our inheritance does not fade away. Reserved in heaven for you, right? Reserved in heaven. Now the, the, I've only had a few things in life that I've ever, you know, participated in where you needed a reservation, couple times I've been out to eat where you have to like call in and get a reservation, you know, more frequently, you know, trip to the top of Cadillac mountain, you have a reservation. Hey, and when you arrive there, okay, you experience whatever you did, but then again, that fades away. The significance and the importance and the enjoyment is almost immediately gone. What is reserved for us in heaven? It's it's so worth our time to meditate upon what is reserved for us, what the Lord has in store for us, to focus on, to review, to read again. When it springs to your mind, go look it up. You know, can't remember where it is. Get your concordance out. Those one or two words from that verse you remember, find them. Then go to the verses and read. Read the whole chapter. Get it all in context again. Let the Lord fulfill in you what he wants to fulfill. You know, the things that we have wanted and longed for and received in this life. Did you guys ever, I guess you do it now. I had a conversation recently about everybody's all worried about, I'm chasing a big rabbit trail here, about retail, the death of retail stores. Right. Oh, you know, the Internet has killed retail stores. Well, just by the way, this is not the first time this has happened, even here in America. OK, uh, Sears and Robot catalog killed retail stores. You get the catalog, you look through, you place the order, you send away in the mail and six to eight weeks later it arrives. OK, and so it is. And what eventually happened 
in each one of these waves that has happened historically since the beginning of this nation is people get sick of not being able to try it out, not being able to try it on, and they finally start going to the retail stores again, and then you see the death of those catalog elements and the rebirth of retail. Uh, so, so I remember the days of looking through the catalog and finding what you want. You read the description like 158 million times until you're convinced, I do want this BB gun. You know, and you fill out the form so carefully to make sure everything's right. And you read and review in the envelope and you put your money in there and you send it off and you just wait in anticipation. And the whole time you're waiting for it, you're like rereading and thinking about and fantasizing about all you're going to be able to do with this item when it arrives. And then it arrives and there is a great joy, but boy, it's very brief. And that fades. Not so with what Christ has not only promised us is in reserve for us, but how he has recorded it here. This doesn't even come close to what it's going to be like and how it's not going to fade. We want to make sure that we do not let our focus slip from this eternal, right? Heaven and earth will pass away, but word will by no means pass away. That means his word is eternal. You're going to be able to learn from his word. And the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God. This encapsulates what is in store for us. What an amazing thing that this is reserved for us. And we can read about it and know it and hope in it and trust in it and wait for it. And then eventually even have the full fulfillment of what this has in store for us. Who are kept by the power of God. Notice you're not kept by your good behavior. Listen, you need to behave yourself and you need to be good. There's no implying anything other than that. But you don't achieve this inheritance status of relationship with Christ through your good behavior. You're kept through the power of God, through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. You already have that salvation. It will be revealed what you are, what it is, what it's all about. You already presently have that if you are trusting in him for it. In this, you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials. You see why I was dwelling on that so much earlier about the challenges you may face, the failures you may go through? This is a message come from Peter, who's saying, you're going to be tested. You know, you're going to say amazing things and people are going to applaud and say, wow, you're really full of the Holy Spirit. And then the next thing that's going to come out of your mouth is going to be straight from the pit of hell. Get behind me, Satan. Right. You have glorious victories and disgraceful failures right in front of everybody. You're going to have trials where people test you and say, are you really a follower of Jesus Christ? Because if you say you are, it might go bad for you right now. And you may crumble and wither away from the open admission that you should have confessed, like Peter. If you draw near to the Lord, right, jump out of the boat and swim to him the next time you see him, you'll hear him say, do the work I've asked you to do. If 
feed my sheep. Take care of the people I've put in your life. You'll hear his restorative work in your heart and in your mind. You're going to go through trials, but you are already saved. You're already inheriting. You're already sanctified. Praise God. Amen. That we don't have to sweat and claw and work our way to that gift that was so freely given, just as grace poured out upon us. Amen? Amen. That's the time we have uh, for this evening, so we'll pick up with verse 7 next week. Why don't we stand and we'll pray? As we approach Christmas, we will divert away from our normal studies and uh, concentrate on the celebration of our Lord's birth. Um, so just be aware of that. And if you get the opportunity, especially those couple weeks right before, invite friends and family to come and hear uh, the message of Jesus Christ's birth and salvation prepared for us. So, amen. Father, we thank you for your love, your grace, your work in our lives. We ask that you would continue, continue to work in our hearts and minds, Lord. We long to see your completion, your finished work, the progress that you are taking us through. We're confident. We, we are with Paul, and we hold confidently to the work you've begun in us. And we, we trust with confidence, as Paul said, that you will be faithful to complete it. Guide us, keep us, protect us, use us until we are together again. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.